Okay, uh, at this time, I, I'm Harold, one of the pastors. It is my uh, pleasure always to bring to you God's Word. It's Palm Sunday, so we're going to take a two-week break off of the book of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Okay, I'm going to talk about the greater story, the greater story of Jesus, Luke 24, verses 30 to 32. Let's begin there. I am very, very happy and proud of my new Bible with 12-point font. It's the first time. Oh, I can read it well. Here we go. Verses 30 to 32. When he, Jesus Christ, was at table with them, his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then verses 44 to 48. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Okay, this is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. I've never met anybody who doesn't like a great story. A great story. You guys know I'm an avid sports fan and Last week completed this thing called March Madness. It's collegiate basketball, and the University of Virginia won it all. It's kind of close to my heart because one of my first full-time pastorates was in Virginia, Washington, D.C., our sister church, Christ Central Presbyterian Church over in Virginia, and saw a lot of hoopla and a lot of relieved, happy hearts of alumni of UVA. For those of you who don't follow sports, UVA last year was the number one overall seed, and they suffered a historic, humiliating collapse. As a number one seed last year, they lost to a number 16 seed. It had never occurred before. And their supposed best player by the name of Kyle Guy was ridiculed as a choker. I mean, pretty much nonstop. It's, it gets really, really bad. Uh, labeled a loser, someone who cannot step up in the moment. This year, Kyle Guy, same team, same coach, they won it all, and Kyle Guy became the outstanding player. He becomes a clutch player. If you read anything about Kyle Guy, he opened up publicly last April that the anxiety he suffered during and the, in the aftermath of that historic collapse, the anxiety attacks he's had, he's been taking anxiety medication all year. Now you see, that makes Kyle Guy in this story a little more compelling, does it not? Their coach, by the name of Tony Bennett, this well-groomed, really well-dressed man, who happens to be a sincere Christian believer, married, I think, a youth pastor, 
Last year, I got to admit as your pastor, I thought when they lost, he should have been a lot more angry. He looked too composed, too gracious. Well, this year he is quoted after winning it all. Let's turn there. I have great things in my life, my love for my wife, my love for coaching, my love for basketball. Those are wonderful things. But when you line them up in comparison to Christ and the relationship you have with him and what he's done for you and what he's given you, they don't compare. That's the greatest truth I know. So here we are. Your pastor needs to publicly repent because I secretly judge in my heart that Tony Bennett, the coach, took it too graciously last year. Well, now I understand why he took it too graciously. You see, Christian people tend to not be too deflated or crushed by even humiliating losses. And even after they won it all this year, the first words out of his mouth was, I am humbled, I am humbled. It didn't get to his head. College admissions officers want to hear great stories. Netflix and Hollywood movie studios want to produce and sell great stories. God himself is the greatest storyteller of all, and he sent Jesus Christ his son to make it come true. Today marks Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. It is the most important week in church history. If you pronounce history a different way, the most important week in his story, the story of God. And the reason why it's called Palm Sunday is that he received a reception fit for a king. Great, great crowds gathered. And they were all waving, which is customary for a military hero, palm branches. And it was declared by one public politician, look, the whole world has gone after him. But the story does not end there. While Jesus Christ was applauded and exalted on Palm Sunday, befitting a king, on Good Friday of that very week and of this very week that we get to observe, he was then mocked and ridiculed and beaten and spat upon, and they hoisted a sign which was sarcastic, king of the Jews, and the only crown that he got to wear was a crown of thorns, and he was crucified and tortured, naked, to death. Now, please don't make any mistake. The same crowd that hailed him as a king on Palm Sunday was not exactly the same crowd that uh, cried out, crucify him on Good Friday. True. But you still, the lesson is you can't trust the crowds. People do turn on you. And in Jesus' case, the ones that he loved on and trusted the most, the ones who were closest to him, and only the ones who are closest to you can hurt you more. It was his very disciples that by Good Friday, not one guy could stay awake. Not one friend could stay awake with him on his most stressful, scary night. He was betrayed. He was abandoned by all. I mean, if you have had any experience of people turning on you and disappointing you and leaving you and abandoning you or betraying you, if 
you've ever gone through that, such is life. Jesus Christ, this week of all weeks, really does know exactly what you're going through. Now here's the aim this morning. Do you really know this greater story? Do you know the story of Jesus? I mean, do you really know the story? And why, if at all, does this story matter to your story? Just going to break it down into two guidelines into understanding the biblical story, okay? Or two story guidelines. The first goes like this. No story makes sense on its own. Every story is part of a greater story. No story makes sense on its own. Every story has to be read and understood. You don't really understand this little story until you put it into the context of the greater story. Now, most people, uh, churched or not, don't really grasp the greater story. Uh, We're just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus here in Luke chapter 24. You see, if the Bible is bland and boring to you, Uh, if you leave unaffected and unfazed by the Bible, let me just suggest to you, my friend, this morning, it's because you don't really get the greater story. If the story of the Bible never brings thunder and lightning and the drama that it should from the power of heaven, I would venture to say it's because you don't really put it into its right context. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were lost, depressed, cynical, and confused about life because they did not understand the story of the Bible. They read the Old Testament, all the first 39 books, so to be sure, they read it. They they knew what the story said, but they didn't really understand it. Until Jesus Christ, upon his resurrection from death, unlocks what used to be a random jigsaw puzzle. Just a total puzzle. It's like incoherent. And he unlocks it. He makes it coherent. He makes them understand. He illuminates them with the light of truth. He is the master storyteller and the perfect teacher. And this morning, I am totally reliant upon the spirit of Jesus to do that with us. And once the disciples started to understand the greatest story, they said, did not our hearts burn? Did not our hearts burn when he opened to us the story of the scriptures? Well, here's what Jesus did. He unpacked the entirety of the Old Testament in a threefold summation. In a threefold summation. When he says, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms in verse 44, he's summarizing the entirety of the Old Testament. He says, um, all of that, all of it, every story, every detail, every insinuation, every positive role model, and every foil, okay? Everything about it actually revolves around me. That's what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 24. He's saying, Jesus Christ is totally central to the story of the Bible. In other words, you cannot understand any story of the Bible without him. No Bible story makes sense without him. 
Jesus unveiled the greater story. Do you know it? Here's the greater story. First, God created and reclaims all nations, all peoples who rebelled against him. Back to himself. God who created all nations and all peoples. And we defied him and said, we want to live lives apart from you. We know what we're doing. We want to be autonomous. Just leave us alone. We issued a declaration of independence from our creator God. We rebelled. Then God comes after us and he reclaims us back to himself. That's verse 47. That's the beginning of the greater story. Point number two. Jesus, Jesus called God his own father. I don't know if you guys just skip right over that. But he dares to call God my own father. He's going to give you power, but that's my own dad. Abba father. Verse 49. No Greek no Roman, no pagan, no philosopher, no theologian, no religious official. In Jesus' day, this was unprecedented. Nobody dared to call God my father. Well, Jesus did. And he goes on to say, not only is he my father, I came to fulfill all the scriptures. Now, for Jesus to say that he came to fulfill all the scriptures means two things at least, at least. To fulfill all scriptures means there is an ancient sovereign intelligence that has planned everything. Like there's a script, there's a play, there's a plan. And yet at the same time, human beings, including Jesus, can freely choose and we are held ultimately responsible and totally responsible. It means at least two things. That Jesus came to fulfill all scriptures is there is a sovereign, absolutely in control intelligence that planned all things, but Jesus freely came and volunteered and he chose to fulfill all things. He executed it to its perfection. God created all things, but all things, namely human beings, rebelled against him, wanted to live lives apart from him. So, Jesus Christ came along, who is the Son of God, and he came to fulfill all scriptures. Point number three in the greater story, Jesus Christ suffered, died, and rose again on the third day to offer forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ had to suffer and die and rise on the third day. Verse 46 and 47. To provide the forgiveness of sins. And point number four. Point number four. Jesus Christ himself knew the greater story of God. And he was so committed to it. That he was willing to give his life up for it. Jesus Christ knew the grand narrative. Jesus Christ knew there was a greater story. At the risk of saying, Jesus Christ knew there was a greater story than maybe the little story that he could write for himself. And even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, knew that that story was so much greater and he was so committed to its fulfillment for it to play out that he gave up his very life for it. And in verse 52, which we did not read, upon Jesus Christ's resurrection from death, he pours down power from heaven for his followers to be bold in their witness, to share and spread the story, and to continue to worship God through Jesus with joy. 
Why does this matter? Why does this matter if at all? Well, listen, my friends. Did you know that Jesus Christ here is not just teaching his disciples about how to understand the story of the Bible? Jesus Christ is not just giving a Bible study lesson of why Christ Central exists, that every story has something to do with Jesus Christ at its center. That's not the only thing he's doing. Do you know what he's doing? He's not teaching his disciples just how to understand the story of the Bible. He's teaching them how to understand life. Jesus is not just teaching us how to understand the story of the Holy Scriptures. He's trying to teach us, this is how you should understand the story of your life. The story of your entire life. They go together. You see, very um, religious church people tend to take the Bible and you use it. And you reduce it down to how to have a better business or how to have better marriages or how to become a better parent. That's not wrong. That's not bad. But if that's all you do, you see, if you use the Bible down to self-improvement how-to snippets, you're never going to need Jesus Christ to save you. I'll put it in this other way. As a religious person who grew up in a church, if you think that... The point of the Bible is somehow to get God to fit into your story. See, if you think the whole point of Christianity is, I just need God to inspire and bless and strengthen me more so that I can succeed and reach my goal. You see, you're using the Bible to get God to fit into your storyline. If you think that's the whole point, you could not be more mistaken. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples. He says, but what if the whole point of the Bible and the whole point of life is to have you fit into his. What if the whole point of becoming a Christian is not that God would fit into your storyline, but that your story would somehow fit into the story of God? No story makes sense without a greater story. Every story is part of a greater story. When I drive down to visit my mom or my sister and brother-in-law, sometimes down to San Diego, I always pass by Camp Pendleton. I see the helicopters. I see some of them training at times. It's, a, it's kind of awe-inspiring to watch. And I've had some friends in the military, and of the military, the Army, the Navy, and the Marines, there's these things called special forces, like the SEALs or the elite or the Green Berets. And look... <laughs> I don't know why anyone joins that. <laughs> you got to go through training. So if you, if you join the special forces, the elite forces, you are going to train for the worst parts of war. Like the parts where the rest of the military, they don't want to go there. They haven't been trained for that. Discipline, hardship, suffering, even death is natural and expected. Yesterday was your best day. So why would anyone join that? Well, you see, there's a powerful storyline. It's for freedom. It's for your country. 
This is what your dad and granddad did. This is for tradition and legacy and honor. That is such an incredible storyline, and that storyline is so powerful, it actually makes sense of anyone signing up for special forces. One more example. I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation. It's my kid's spring break. I'm on vacation this week. Therefore, I want no alarm clocks. I want no agenda, no schedule. Please work. Please work. Don't call me. Don't email me this week. I'm trying to minimize all stress. I want to maximize relaxation. That makes sense. Why does that make sense? Because your story that week is you are on vacation. Now, did you know that if Jesus Christ is your sovereign creator as well as your savior, if he made you and he came to save you, wouldn't you go figure that only he can make sense of your life? You know, Jesus, it's one thing for you to believe, oh, of course he makes sense of all the stories of the Bible. Well, how about, do you know that if you don't have Jesus in the middle of your life story, your story won't make sense? Five dear brothers are going to get ordained today as elders. Elders are fellow shepherds, pastors. Been waiting for this day. I'm going to join with Brian and Kevin and I, who I cannot thank enough. Come join us and worship and celebrate. Watch what God is doing at 4 p.m. over at Artesia. You can't join us for dinner. Our SVPs are too late. Sorry. Go eat Chick-fil-A after. Sorry, Chick-fil-A is closed. Aha. <laughs> but come worship with us. You know these five brothers, um, they happen to be all be married. <laughs> One has already, I, can't, I lost count of how many kids he has. <laughs> uh, they all have full-time jobs, and uh, some of those jobs are highly intensive and stressful, and they have the same number of weekdays, and there's the same time on the weekends allotted that you have, and they have one body. They can physically show up to one place at one time, and uh, you know that they're becoming elders, and they got to do it. It's all volunteer. It's all volunteers for free. Like Young Park, who was our chief of staff, it's kind of funny. As soon as he agreed to and got voted to become a ruling elder, Kevin and Brian said, you know, um, you got to do what you've been doing, but now you can't get paid. Why do they do that? Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone carve up and set apart their limited precious weekend where it could be spent for sleep, recreation, family time, and all these other things. And why would five guys, along with ordained deacons and elders and servants of our church, sign up and volunteer and say, oh, uh, as if I'm not busy enough, I'd like to give extra time and energy and talents and treasures and gifts and sacrifices for the sake of the church. I'll tell you why. It's because they have a they have a storyline. They have a powerful storyline. And that story of Jesus is the only thing that can make sense of why they're doing what they're doing. No story makes sense without a greater story. What story has captured your life? 
I mean, without the greater story of Jesus in the middle of it, I don't know what stories we have left. Really, what stories do you have left? There's no story that even comes close in its redemptive beauty and creativity and kind of the radical turnaround. Nothing comes close. If you do not have Jesus in the middle of your story, what story do you have left? You believe we came from nothing. Random chance, cosmic accident. Well, we originated from nothing. That means we're headed for nothing. We came from nothing. We're headed for nothing. So what's my life? What's in the middle? What does it mean? Nothing. Nothing. That's your story. You see, your beginning is nothing. Your end is nothing. Therefore, what's the middle? Nothing. The author of Ecclesiastes has already been there, done that. He told you this. He said he got everything. And he said it's still vain. It's all meaningless without God in the middle of it. Michael Horton. A theologian, a writer, a speaker, <clears throat> he conjectures that those who believe in nothing and are headed for nothing, <coughs> excuse me, that's why we're obsessed about making the biggest splash now. You got to go out there and make a name for yourself. Why? Because it's nothing, you're headed for nothing. At least for now, you got to mean something. And in all of our ways, everyone in this room, you are doing everything possible to fight off the absurdity and the senselessness of your life. Everyone in this room, including myself, if Jesus is not in the middle of it, you are just trying to fend off death and try to make sense of your life. But it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Unless there be a creator a redeemer, and someone who resurrects life after death. Mm. Number two, story guideline number two. No story makes sense without a greater story. Here's number two. A truly greater story not only will make sense of your story, but it'll change you and your present story. A truly greater meta-narrative, a truly greater story arc lined is not only going to make sense of your little story, but it's going to change you and your story. Look, you go to a movie, you go to a movie, and you bawl, and you cry, and you bawl, and you cry, and you say, I cannot believe how moving and poignant that was. But my friend, how many times has that movie changed you? All you do is go back and eat pop popcorn. You see, all the tears in the world without truth won't change you. Passion week. This week, passions, passions, experiences, emotions. They're great. We need to have more of them at our church. But sentiments without a story? Passions without reasons why? It'll never take a hold of you. It'll never change you. Only a true to, truly greater story will. I don't know a better story than this one, than you know, little boy Johnny, whose mom was terribly disfigured, terribly marred, but he never noticed it as a little boy because his mom was nothing but loving and kind to him. 
And it used to be that the day came when the little boy had grown up enough to go to school. So the mother took him to school, all the way to the gate of the school, waved goodbye, hand in hand. At the end of school, she would come back and pick him up. But as each day passed, the boy, this little boy Johnny, suddenly grew hesitant and reluctant to hold his mom's hand until he was asking to stay. Mom, would you just stay a block away? And eventually, Johnny requested, I, Mom, I can just walk and I can get to school by myself. So, of course, the mother was deeply hurt. Deeply hurt. Because her boy was growing distant all in a matter of a few weeks. The mom then realized and figured out what was really going on. All of Johnny's classmates were making fun of Johnny for the way that his mom looked. All of his classmates were ridiculing him for how disfigured she appeared. And so this is why now Johnny didn't want to be seen with his mom. He was turning against her. And even after he came back home from school, he would march right upstairs to his room and lock his door. So one night, the father came home and he found his wife in tears in the middle of the kitchen. And he asked her, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And then his wife, the mom, explained, Johnny's turned against me. Johnny is, he's ashamed of me. He sees all the other beautiful moms and he doesn't want me anymore. And so at that point, the father marched up to little Johnny's room upstairs, sat down at his bed, and he turned to Johnny and said, Johnny, I've got to tell you a story. It's a true story. When you were three years of age, I was working in the shed in the backyard and I left home to go buy something, but I left the door open. And you wandered into that shed and you began to play with a box of matches. Your mother saw you from the kitchen and she frantically screamed, don't, don't, Johnny, put that down, put that down, don't. But as she ran to the door of the shed, you struck a match and there was a huge explosion. But before anything could happen to you, Johnny, your mother grabbed you. She held you. She covered you completely. And she took the whole blast of the explosion. That's why your mommy is the way she is today. She was taken to the hospital and the doctors fought for her life. Johnny, your skin is perfect because she gave herself to save you. And as Johnny heard this, of course, he fell into tears. He had never known that story. And so he ran down into the kitchen downstairs where his mother was still crying. And he took her scarred hands and he kissed them. And he thanked his mom profusely. From that point on, Johnny was never ashamed to be seen with his mom. He proudly held her hands. He walked all the way to school and back. He gloried in her scars because Johnny had seen true beauty. True beauty.
When you see the true and stunning beauty of Jesus Christ, by understanding his story, when you see what Jesus Christ did for you and gaze upon his beauty by understanding why he went through what he went through, you become Christian. And Christian people are those who start to burn with love, love, and they glory in his scars, and they are no longer ashamed of him, and they want to believe and love and follow him. The story, the greater story, by Jesus' word and by his spirit, when it comes and burns in your heart, you get to see a beauty that you can't shake. Here's one application. I'm happy to say this morning, you do not have to try to apply. So you don't have to go and try to do this at all. Here it is. You're all doing it anyways. You don't even have to try. If you don't know the greater story of Jesus, you will live out the story you do know. If you've never grasped or been gripped by the greater story of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, you will continue to go on living the story you do know. And what's the stories that we know so well? Immigrant families, my parents and grandparents sacrificed so much, so therefore, I better succeed. Some of you here are trying to make the biggest splash. You're trying to make as much money as quick as possible so you can early retire. Trying to get your name out there so that it's known revered, respected, or famous. Is that your story? Is that your story? Uh, I, I read this newspaper article that in a day and age, Jesus Christ and his greater story could never fit into lives that are dominated by smaller stories of the self, the selfie. If you didn't know, there was this thing called Super Bloom right here in Southern California recently. And um, you know that we've suffered all kinds of uh, drought and the ground has been brown and crunchy and dead and barren and we live in a desert. And on top of that, we had wildfires, but we did not know that the wildfires would have ash that would kind of put seeds deep into the ground. And then this last winter, we had more rain than we can remember. That's all a gift of God, by the way. The rain all comes out of our control. God poured out all this rain, and then we had this thing called super bloom. And flowers and colors and lush green fields and yellow poppies would pop out everywhere, and people went crazy over these super blooms. I love seeing the pictures. But here's the tendency of our generation. So many more people, rather than being interested in seeing the super bloom, they want to be seen in it. More than being interested in seeing the glory and the beauty and the full blossoming of creation and nature, they just want to use that as an Instagram photo op. And so, you know, Lake Elsinore recently had to declare a public safety emergency. Because upon Superbloom, so many people were coming and trampling on it, not treating it right, and helicopters were trying to land, and so many tourists and guides were coming that it was ruining 
super bloom. And here's the crazy thing. My friends, here's the crazy thing. Jesus Christ comes along. He has a greater story that matters into eternity. But it'll never penetrate and break into smaller selfie stories. Because if your individual story, your little story is all that you know, and you think it's too great in your eyes, other stories, even greater stories, will just pass you right by. My friends, if you ask your best friends or your spouse or your kids, um, can you tell me what story mommy and daddy are living right now? Next family devotional, can you ask it? They'll tell you. What story is mom and dad living these days? Is it just about how much money we can make? Is it just about how comfortable we can become? Is it just about you better succeed in whatever you're doing so it makes mommy and daddy look good? Oh, my friend. Until the greater story of Jesus Christ becomes your story, your hearts will never burn. But when Jesus unlocks his story and it becomes your story, he will unveil a purpose and a meaning and a joy you have never tasted. Because your story is meant to fit into his. And when your story fits into his, it will matter into eternity. Next week, as Daniel Penn shared with you, Invite a relative, a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm humbled to pray, but invite them because on Easter Sunday, more people are prone to at least attend or visit a church than ever before. And if you know that your friend has never heard or really grasped the greater story of Jesus, bring them. And I'll do my best. It's not the best story, but it's my story. It's a story of how Jesus came to love and save me, love and save me, and I don't know how he continues to love and save me to this day. May this greater story not only make sense of the Bible, but make, make sense of your life. Of your life and mine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day of worship. And we ask that by your word and by your spirit, make our hearts burn. May our hearts burn for a greater story, a greater purpose, a greater narrative. That's not made up on my own, but that's been revealed and handed down and executed by Christ Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, and my lover. Lord, I pray that you would turn us this day, turn us throughout Passion Week, to know your story better and that our stories would fit. Hear us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.